me. Everybody look at your neighbor, stare at them, gaze into their lovely eyes. If you're sat next to the wrong person, that's your fault, not mine. Look at them just a minute. You're looking at a certified sinner. That's what you're looking at. And you say, preacher, that's not nice. That's just the truth. And you're listening to a dressed-up sinner today. We're all a bunch of sinners. Nobody goes to heaven because they deserve to go there. In fact, if we get what we deserve, we're all separated from God because of our sins, and we're going to be separated from God for eternity. That's why Jesus came. Oh, the glorious grace of God. I just sat there listening to that song, just drinking it in because that's why I'm here today. That's why you're here today. It's the only reason any of us will ever go to heaven, because of the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. How many of you got a lot of sin in you? Come on now. Confession's good for the soul. Well, let me tell you something. There's more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. So where sin flows, grace overflows. Over the banks. Sinners become sons. What do you think of that? Slaves of the devil become servants of Jesus. There's nothing like the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I must tell you that in my travel from place to place to place to place, what I'm discovering is everybody's different and everybody's the same. Every town I'm in is a little different. People I meet are a little different. Culture's different. Uh, Accents are different. Food is different. All of that's different. But the one common denominator is everybody needs Jesus. With that in mind, I want you to open your Bible with me, would you please, to the New Testament book of Acts. If you go to the first of the New Testament, you've got the four gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were four evangelists like me. That's what they were. They were just gospel preachers who had one message. There's not four gospels. There's one gospel. That's the message of Jesus. But there were four different records of it. And you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you come to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is really just an extension of the gospel records because it tells you what Jesus continued to do after he ascended back to heaven. Look, he's not dead. He's alive. And he's not a distant God. He's a present God. He is at work in and through his churches in this world. When you come to Acts chapter number 17, you come uh, to... The travels of a famous evangelist. His name is Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. I think he's probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. And outside of Jesus, the greatest gospel preacher that ever traveled. And when you come to Acts chapter 17, he's on the, he's on the evangelistic trail. He's, he's not traveling as a tourist. He's not traveling as a spectator. He's traveling as a messenger of the gospel of Jesus. In the previous chapter, I wish you had time to study it with you. He stopped off at my favorite place. It was Philippi. It was amazing because Philippi is where the gospel first opened to the entire continent of Europe. Now, you think about this just a minute. This is not a geography lesson. This is a gospel lesson. Uh, But by and large, what we have in our nation has come to us from Europe centuries ago. And I'm, I'm thrilled to think that there was a day that the gospel got to Europe. And because the gospel got to Europe, the gospel got to us. There's a spiritual chain reaction. That started in a place called Philippi. And my favorite book of the Bible is the book of Philippians. That was a letter written to the church at Philippi. And there are a lot of miraculous, great things that happened at Philippi. And there are also some tough things that happen. Those two things always go together. Everything God ordains, Satan opposes. So if the Lord is working today, know this, the devil is fighting. 
Oh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, the door of opportunity always swings on the hinges of opposition. Paul wrote in a certain place, a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are many adversaries. Look, please. There is a Christ who is for you today, and there is a devil that is against you and against God and against everything God wants to do in your life. And so when you come to Acts chapter number 17, Paul has moved from Philippi and he's just passing through, look at verse 1 now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where it was a synagogue of the Jews. I love this phrase, just passing through. We're all just passing through. I'm just passing through. I flew in last night, and if God lets me live and Jesus doesn't come, if Jesus comes before Wednesday, I'm going to take a much different flight. I'm looking forward to that too, but I'm just passing through. I'll head to another place. You may say, well, I'm stationary, preacher. I live here. You're just passing through, too. We're all just passing through. This world's not your home. You're just passing through. Paul was passing through. He comes to a city called Thessalonica. You can still go to that area, Thessalonica, today. At the time of Paul, it was a very wealthy, populous place. Lots of people, lots of money. Sound familiar? We're living in a world filled with lots of people, lots of material things. And I'm going to tell you, every one of those people needs Jesus, and money can never buy your salvation. Everybody needs the gospel. Verse number 2, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days, I love this, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Maybe you think this, this whole thing's just crazy. And I want you to know our God is a God of truth, of light, of reasoning he says in the prophet isaiah come now come now let us reason together though your sins be as scarlet they should be white as snow though they be red like crimson they should be as wool it is an amazing thing that god would save a soul but it's not unreasonable no the lord reasons with sinners when you come to the bible this is not some fairy tale some figment of the imagination this is not my idea this is the word of the living god and Paul stood up and did the same thing in every place. By the way, it's what I do in every place. Last Lord's Day, I was in on the other coast of Florida. And uh, they're real sinners over there. You know that, right? And next Lord's Day, if I live, I'll be in North Carolina because Tar Heels need Jesus too. Isn't that right? And uh, every place, different place, same thing. Same thing. You just open the Bible and point them to Jesus. And that's what Paul did. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says that he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Everybody look up here just a minute. That's what I'm doing. This is the Scriptures. It's one of the words for the Bible, one of the words for the Word of God. The word Scripture means the writings of God. Now look across the page. Look at verse number 11. We studied this in the Bible study hour earlier. There was a group of people in, in the next town, Berea, who searched the Scriptures, same word, daily. So the Scriptures... It's God's revelation to us. You, you say you want to know God? God says, all right, I wrote a book. Look, excuse me. How plain would you like God to be? He put it in black and white. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God gave his word, and they wrote it down, and today we're reading in it. When we open the Bible, you're not just opening a book. You're opening the heart and mind of God. You want to know what God thinks? You want to know how God feels? You want to know what God wants? Read the Scriptures. And that's what they did. They reasoned out of the Scriptures. Look at verse number 3. Opening and alleging that Christ 
must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, there were many men named Jesus in that day, but this Jesus is a different Jesus. This Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. He is not just Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. All God, all man. So in verse number 2, you got the written word, and in verse number 3, you got what the Bible calls the living word. That's Jesus. You know, I've found in meetings, and I'm in lots of different kinds of meetings, I'm asked to speak on different topics and subjects, and I, anything from the Bible I enjoy sharing. But my favorite thing is just talk about Jesus because when you open the Scripture, it's all about pointing us to who Christ is. So he opens the Bible. He makes a beeline for the cross. Look at verse number 4. And some of them believed. Dear Lord, give us some of those today. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and the chief women, not a few. And so we have what's arguably one of the most simple, inconspicuous starts to a church. <laughs> and this is what blows my mind. I wish I had time to take you to First and Second Thessalonians. You ever heard of that in the New Testament? Two letters written to a church in this city after Paul was there. So he goes there, he preaches, a group of people get saved, they get baptized, they start a church, and out of that church, other people start hearing the gospel. He writes back to them, First and Second Thessalonians. They're amazing books. They're all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in both of them, he commends them for being an exemplary church. Now hold on just a minute. He's only there for three weeks. People have this idea, you've got to have some long, protracted meeting to really see God do something. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned when people get ready and get wide open to God, God can do more in one moment than you could in a thousand meetings. No, in a divine appointment, God shows up. Amazing things happen. And the Bible says Paul was only there for three Sabbaths. Best we know, he's only there for three Sabbaths to teach the Word of God and point them to Jesus. And out of that came what most Bible teachers call the model church. That's what the church at Thessalonica is known as. They're known as the model church, the exemplary church. In fact, Paul even held them up to other churches and said, you will know what a church ought to look like? Look at that church. You will know what a church ought to do? Look at that church. You will know what a church ought to be? Look at that church. How many of you would like to be a part of a church like that? I'm standing in a wonderful church today. And I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not just trying to be nice to you. I'm in hundreds of churches. And frankly, some churches are dead as a hammer. They're just dead as a hammer. I mean, you stand up and preach, and you think, heaven help us. We don't need a revival. We need a resurrection here, you know. You want to preach on Lazarus, come forth every service. It's just bad. This church is alive. They said it earlier. It's right. There's, there's a life here, and it's not fleshly life. It's spiritual life. It's wonderful. It's tremendously encouraging to people like me. How many of you are members of this church? Would you raise your hand, please? Or let me, let me join with others today in congratulating this church on this church anniversary and saying to you, thank God for the church you have. Don't you take it for granted. You keep praying and laboring because God is using you. It's wonderful. And the greatest days are ahead. How many of you are like me and you're visiting today? You're not a member of this church. Would you raise your hand, please? All right? May I say something to all the, all the visitors today? You found a great church and you should come back next Sunday. I mean that. People sometimes come on an open house. They come on an anniversary, a special day, invited by friends or family, and, and they hear a guest speaker. But they never really get to know the church. Now, they don't feed a meal every Sunday, I don't think. Is that right? So you picked a really good first Sunday to come. 
And by the way, I know what time we're supposed to eat, so just relax, all right? We're going to get there. You're going to be at the greatest restaurant in town in just a few minutes. But every Sunday they feed the bread of life. They give the word of God. And you, you ought to come back. Hear the pastor next Sunday. Be here on a normal Sunday. This is not normal. Be here just on a normal Sunday. Because you have found, I think, a great church in many ways, an exemplary church. But here's what I've discovered about churches, and I'm in a lot of them. There is no perfect church. My granddaddy was an old-timey mountain preacher in the hills of West Virginia. And uh, by the way, this time of year, I'm really happy to be preaching in Florida, Pastor. Thank you for inviting me. Two weeks ago, we had 16 inches of snow at my house. And so I really feel like I'm suffering for Jesus today, and I'm glad to be here. My grandpa was an old-timey mountain preacher, and he had a tent, an old-fashioned preacher, and he would set up a tent, and he would preach six, eight, ten weeks at a time, and they'd see a group of people get saved, and they would start a church out of that meeting. The little church I grew up in as a boy came out of a, a meeting that he preached like that, and I was, I was preaching in a church not long ago, and uh, I, I didn't realize my grandfather had started that church, and a man came out in the lobby, and he said, uh, did you know your grandpa, Paulie? And I said, no, sir, he died right before I was born. Died when he was 57. And uh, I said, did you know him? And he started crying. He said, I didn't just know him. He said, he led me to Jesus. He said, he baptized me out behind the old church. We had a pond. And he started laughing. He said, you know those words you preachers say when you baptize people? I said, yes, I know those words. He said, he must have been practicing because he held me under a long time that day. <laughs> Churches have a start somewhere. Sometimes it's inconspicuous. Nobody really thinks about the impact of it. But I'm going to tell you, when the Lord starts building his church, it's an amazing thing. It's miraculous. It's not of men. It's of God. It's, it's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living, breathing thing. But my grandpa used to say, if you find a perfect church, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. He was right about that. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect people. I reiterate what I said to you at the beginning. We're all just a bunch of sinners. I was talking to a man one day out in the community, and I invited him to church, and he smarted off to me. He just, you know, he said, that's a bunch of hypocrites at church, and I shouldn't have said it. You ever say something before you think? I mean, it just kind of comes out. And I said to him before I could catch myself, I said, one more won't hurt. We'd be glad to have you. And he, he was a little stunned. I was a little stunned, come to think of it. And he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, are you perfect? He said, no. I said, well, we're not either. And I said, if you're waiting till you get perfect and they get perfect to go to church, I think you missed the whole point. None of us are perfect people. We just have a perfect Savior. There's no perfect church, but there are pattern churches. That's what the church of Thessalonica was. There. There's no church without problems. Matter of fact, come down, would you please, to verse number 5. But, <laughs> see, about the time you think, man, this is really going good. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took of to, uh, unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. That sounds like a nice crew, doesn't it? They gathered a company, set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren and the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I think the criticism is one of the greatest compliments I've ever heard in my life. Would to God somebody would say, That church is turning the world upside down for Jesus. By the way, the world is upside down because of sin. When the gospel comes, Jesus turns it right side up. 
It may be backwards to the world, but it's the Lord's way. Look at verse 7. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, one Jesus. Let me just tell you, he is the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Caesar's dead, buried in a grave. Nobody talks about him anymore. Jesus Christ is alive and well and will rule for all eternity. Verse 8, they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. I mean, this is a church that's got some problems. They've got battles and they've got enemies and they've got struggles. How many people in this room have problems at all? Let's take a survey. Would you raise your hand, please? All right, so join the club, right? Oldest book in the Bible, book of Job, says man that is born of woman is a few days, anybody know the rest of it, and full of trouble. Full of trouble, just full of it. We all got problems. We all got difficulties. The issue is not are you perfect. The issue is not is where you live perfect. The issue is not are your circumstances perfect. The issue is this, do you know Jesus? May I show you the very inconspicuous but miraculous beginnings to an exemplary church? I'll show you three things very quickly in these verses. And, and by the way, when I finish preaching, very, very brief, but when I finish preaching in just a few moments, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to join me in one of two prayers. And if you say, well, I don't know how to pray, I'll help you. And if you say, well, I don't want to pray, that's your business. That's between you and the Lord. And if you say, well, which, which prayer should I pray? You'll know by the time we get there. See, here's what I think. God speaks to us through the Bible, through the Word. God speaks to us through His written Word, and we talk to God in prayer. How many of you think it's nice when somebody talks to you that you talk back to them? Would you think it rude if I spoke to you and you didn't speak or... You spoke to me and I didn't speak. Somebody said, well, that's not nice. Well, when God speaks, we respond in prayer. I want you to listen like you're getting ready to talk to the one who's talking to you because that's not me. That's the Lord. What do we learn? Number one, notice the beginning of this exemplary church. Where did it all begin? This is beautiful. It all began in verse number two with somebody simply opening the Bible and giving them Jesus. It didn't begin with buildings. It didn't begin with programs. It didn't begin with organization. You know, Pastor, you've got an amazing campus. This is beautiful. And I know the storm, you all had a lot to work through and put back together and, and some things still in progress, but that's part of it. It's good. It, it never gets perfect. It never gets exactly right. But we got here late last night, and, and I just looked around outside, and I, somebody's worked here. And somebody's, somebody's made the place look nice. We came into a clean place today, and, and it's great. It's wonderful. That's the way it ought to be. But this church is not this building. This church is not all the programs that they have. That's, that's not what makes a church great. A church is not great because it's big. A church is not great because it meets budget or supports a lot of missionaries or has something for every age group. That's not what makes a church great. What makes a church great is that it is built on the foundation of the Word of God. Years ago, we were building a house out on the old family farm and it was like monsoon season, about like it was here this morning. My soul. That was some rain, wasn't it? And uh, all you people got your boats out and got to church, and I commend you for it. It's good. But it was monsoon season back in the mountains, and I was traveling, and a guy was helping build the house. Great, great guy, Christian man. He called me, and he said, Scott, he said, I'm trying to get these footers right. He said, we got them dug, and he said, we're trying to get ready to pour. He said, but they just keep filling up with water. He said, I brought pumps in and been pumping out water, and he said, we just can't get it right. And I said, just stop. He said, I thought you was in a hurry. I said, I am, but just stop. And let it dry out and let it stop 
Let the rain stop because I knew something. If I didn't get the foundation right, nothing else mattered. Look, who cares how nice the house looks if the foundation starts cracking, nothing is settled. Isn't that right? Well, I want you to know the foundation of our faith is not men, it is God. What we believe begins with what God says in his word. And so look at verse number 2. It begins with the scriptures. That's our authority. Look, I'm not speaking out of my own authority. I have no right to stand up here and tell you anything. You may say, well, what right does that man have to call all of us sinners? None on my own, but on the authority of the word of God, I can convey to you what I know God has said. This is our authority. So you got questions? It's all right to have questions. Everybody's got questions. But drag your questions kicking and screaming to the word of God. And let God answer those questions because the beginning of truth and the beginning of light and the beginning of grace always is the scriptures. And that's not all. It gets more specific. Look at verse number 3. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. The beginning is not just the scriptures. The beginning specifically is the gospel. Nobody gets saved apart from the gospel of Jesus. The word means good news. I'm going to tell you, we're living in a bad, messed up world right now. People need good news. But there's really only one good news that lasts for all eternity. Do you know what it is? It's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple nights ago, I was in another city in this state speaking in a men's meeting. And they had worked really hard. There were hundreds, and I mean it, hundreds of men in that meeting who didn't go to church, who were not believers, hundreds of them. And... They said to me, would you be willing just to talk to us for 20 or 25 minutes and, and just talk to us about Jesus and where true hope is found? And so I just gave a very simple gospel message. Well, we'd had a dinner, and seated across from me was the chief of police for that major city. And he was a kind man. He was a very distinguished man, a Navy veteran. We, we struck up a conversation about that and thanked him for his service. And, well, we had a great discussion. And then we talked about the world situation and how messed up it all is and it's bad, and boy, what we're dealing with on the streets is bad, and all that kind of thing. But at the end of that meeting, do you know what happened? That man, that, that chief of police, raised his hand and said, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. I'm trusting Christ tonight as my Savior. Now, I'm going to tell you something. In a bad, messed up world, there is one good thing that is always good, and that is the message of Jesus Christ. So I don't know if I understand all this. Well, here's what you need to understand. Look at verse number 3. He suffered. And you know why he suffered? For you. It's not just that he died. He died for your sins. He took your place on the cross. And he didn't just suffer. Look at the rest of it. He's risen again from the dead. Oh, I love this. He died for our sins. Why did he rise from the dead? He rose from the dead to prove that he is God and to give us everlasting life. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Joseph Smith, all of them still dead, buried in a grave. We can take you to their tombs today. Jesus Christ is alive and well. He is a living Savior. And the beginning of everything that God does in a heart, in a home, in a community, in a church, always begins with Christ and the gospel. The second thing I want you to see in this little story, in this exemplary church, it's not just the beginning of the exemplary church. But notice the believers in the exemplary church. Because, see, a church is made up of people. It's just people. Lost people who need Jesus. But when they come to believe on Christ, they become members of the family of God. So look at verse number 4. I love this. And some of them believed. The reality is not everybody's going to believe. I really mean this. Look, I'm not, I'm not just 
traveling because I need somewhere to go this week. I'm traveling because I want people to know Jesus. I really wish I could know with certainty that every person in this section and 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 all the people who aren't with us but they're watching online and listening to us, I wish I could know with certainty that every one of you really are believers. But that is something you'll have to work out for yourself. Look, I can point you to Jesus, but you have to come to Jesus. I'm sorry, but salvation is not a group sport. People come in, they sit in a church, they think, well, I go to church. Well, good. But that doesn't make you a Christian. If you go stand in a garage, you can stand in a garage for five years. That doesn't make you a car. It doesn't change your nature. No, no, it's not outside in, it's inside out. Only Jesus can do that. When does that happen? When we believe on the Lord. God loves all people. Christ died for every man. The gospel says, whosoever will may come, but you must make the decision. Look, I love this. The offer is open for everybody. Read the chapter. Men and women got saved. Aren't you glad men and women get saved the same way? They were religious people and non-religious people. Everybody gets saved the same way. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. I love the Jewish people. I pray regularly for the peace of Jerusalem. I hope later this year to be back in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land. I love those people, and I want to see them know Jesus as their Savior. I was preaching in California a few weeks ago, and when I finished, a woman came out to me weeping, and she said to me, I want you to know, sir, she said, I, I'm a Jewish person, but she said, I'm a follower of Jesus, the Messiah. That thrilled me. Thrilled me. But aren't you glad the Bible says it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek? How many Gentiles are here? Would you raise your hand, please? Let me help you a little bit. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Let's try it again. How many Gentiles are here? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are glad the Lord loves Gentiles too? Sure. I'm not preaching some religious system to you today. I'm preaching to you the person of Jesus Christ. And what does he say? Come on, come all. Uh, Colossians says, in Christ there's not male or female, bond or free. No, no. In Christ there's not Jew or Gentile. The old preachers used to say the ground's level at the foot of the cross. You know what that means? It means the most equal thing on planet earth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. People want to talk about equality, social equality, racial equality, economic equality. Let me tell you what brings real equality, what cuts through all the prejudice in the world. It is the message of Jesus Christ. We are all equally sinners. We are all separated from God. We all need a Savior. God loves every one of us. Christ died in every one of our place. And this offer of salvation through Christ is open to whosoever will may come. That sounds pretty equal to me. But you must believe on Christ for yourself. Are you a believer? I'm not asking do you believe the Bible. I'm not even asking do you believe there's a God. I'm not asking do you believe in Jesus. You do understand the devil believes in Jesus, right? James says that the devil believes and trembles. In fact, I think I could argue the devil probably believes more than any of us do because he's seen more than we have. I'm not talking about giving mental assent, having intellectual understanding of something. No, no. To believe on Jesus doesn't mean that you simply believe he exists. To believe on Christ means that you are depending on him and him alone for your soul's salvation. It means you've cast your eternity on the finished work of Jesus Christ. I ask again, are you really a believer? One more thing, and I'll stop. Look at, look at it carefully. There's not only the beginning here with the Bible and the gospel and the believers here, 
But number three, there's the building blocks of this exemplary church. I, I don't know how I missed this through the years. Did you ever pay any attention to Jason? If I ask you, tell me about Paul, almost everybody can tell me something about Paul. But if I said, what about Jason in the Bible? I mean, there's some people saying, is that name even in the Bible? Actually, he's mentioned one, two, three, four times in Acts chapter number 17. You ever think about all the people we're going to meet in heaven someday? In heaven someday, you talk about a reunion. I hope you're planning to go. I really hope you're planning to be there. As a matter of fact, I hope you already got it settled or you'll get it settled today. It's going to be amazing. Can you imagine when we get there? They're all going to see Jesus, but I'm going to see Jason. I want to shake his hand. I want to say to him, look, I don't know much about you, but tell me more about what happened in Acts 17. Say, well, who was Jason? Best we can tell, he was the guy who not only got saved, he got so heart deep in wanting other people to get saved, he opened his house and let the church meet there. This was where Paul was not just in the synagogue now, but in a house preaching the gospel. See, that first century, they didn't have beautiful buildings. They didn't have the liberty to even do that kind of thing. If you, if you opened your house to let the followers of Jesus meet there, you were a marked man. You were identifying yourself with what they thought was some crazy sect, some crazy cult group, those followers of Jesus. You marked yourself. I'm going to tell you, you don't open your house to Jesus if you haven't opened your heart to Jesus. Now let me tell you the building blocks of the church. A church is not built on good sermons. It's built on true believers who are willing to be publicly identified with Jesus and lead their family to do the same. I wonder if there's any Jasons in here today. I don't mean by name. I mean by nature. I wonder if there's any Jasons in here today that say, you know what? I know Paul's not a popular guy preaching Jesus, and I know the name of Jesus is not popular here in Thessalonica, but I'm willing, I'm willing to be publicly identified with Jesus Christ. We've got too many cowardly believers, too many people cowering in a corner. Let me just tell you something. Jesus was not ashamed of you when he took your sins and died there on that cross. You shouldn't be ashamed of him. Jesus said, those that confess me before men, I'll confess before my Father in heaven. How many of you like Jesus to confess that he knows you before the Father, yes? Then you'd be willing to confess him before men. We believe on Christ, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Same passage says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. If I gave you a million dollars today, would you be embarrassed or excited? Yeah, you answered for all of us. Thank you. You'd be excited. Of course you would. A million dollars? Come on now. How many of you are glad you came to church? You got a million dollars today. We'd be thrilled. When you take Jesus as your Savior, you get something a whole lot better than a million dollars. You get something you can never spend up. It's eternal riches in Jesus Christ. And here's what I think. I think true believers won't be ashamed of it. They, they might be a little timid at first, but eventually they'll come out for the Lord. Eventually Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night came out for the Lord. Eventually Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple of Jesus when Jesus died on the cross, he's the one who went and begged the body of Jesus and said, I'm going to lay him in my tomb. See, there's a threshold moment where you stop being a, kind of a closet Christian and say, well, I, I generally believe those things, and you finally say, I want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, and I want you to know that's the kind of building blocks Christ builds his church with. 
You don't build the church. Jesus builds the church. It's his church, not your church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love that. Even the opposition may push back, but they cannot stop what God is doing. But I tell you, Christ builds his church on the building blocks of individuals who follow Jesus Christ and families who engage their entire household in the work of the gospel. Even when it's not popular. Even when the culture doesn't fit. Even when it is not politically correct. Even, excuse me, when religious people resist. True followers of Jesus know this. In the end, the only thing that matters is the word of God and the gospel of Christ. Now, this church has been around 55 years. That's wonderful. Any charter members here? Anybody here 55 years ago? Just curious. Anybody? I'm looking, looking, looking. I'd say, I see a hand or two. That's great. God bless you. I'd say a lot of those people who got it started, whose pictures we saw earlier, they're with Jesus now. But church, look at me. It's your turn. It's our turn. And may I say, there's no place to stop. You ought to read the second letter to the church at Thessalonica. You know what he does? He said, I'm praying that you'll grow exceedingly in your faith. Wait a minute. I thought they trusted Jesus. Oh, they did. But you must grow in your faith. I I thought they believed the gospel. Oh, yes, they did. But they must get the gospel out. I, I thought these people knew God. Oh, they do know God. But we can go further in our knowledge of God. I tell you, there is no place to stop following Jesus. But there is a place to start. And that, my friends, is right where you are. Do you know what I'm praying for today? Two things. Number one, I'm praying it will be a new beginning for some people in this room. You know how you have a new beginning? I, I meet a lot of people who say, man, I wish I could start over. I got a lot of regrets. I wish I could. I'm going to tell you how to have a new beginning. Have a new birth. The greatest new beginning is when a person is born again, when you trust Jesus as your personal Savior. You get new life in Jesus Christ. And I'm praying not only will it be a new beginning for some of you, I'm praying it will be another Fresh start and new beginning for this church. Wouldn't it be great if this day of celebration was such a day of consecration and rededication to God that this church said, if the Lord will keep us here and Terry's his coming, we want this church to continue to lift up Jesus and get the gospel out and preach the word and bring people to Christ for another 55 years. Well, I want you to know this is what it means, according to the Bible, to be an exemplary church. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me all around the room for just a moment? You've been so very kind to listen, and I thank you. I really mean that. I thank you for the way you've listened. Before we have any music, before we have any movement at all, in the stillness of this moment, with our heads and hearts just bowed prayerfully before God, I'd like to ask a question or two, and I'm going to ask you to be honest. Would you be an honest person? I will not embarrass you. I don't like to be humiliated. I don't like to humiliate others. I didn't come to embarrass you, make a spectacle of you. I want to pray for you. I won't point you out or come after you. But I'd like to ask you to be humble enough and honest enough to agree with God and acknowledge the truth. Very dangerous to lie to God who knows us, isn't it? He already knows us. Let's begin here. How many people in this room today can honestly say, Preacher, if I died right where I'm sitting, and met Jesus just like I am right now. Or if Jesus came, if the trumpet sounded and Christ came back for true believers, if either one of those things happened in the next 60 seconds, I know, no doubt about it, not hope so, maybe so, think so, cross your fingers. No, I know that I have put my faith in the Lord Jesus as my Savior. 
He has given me eternal life. I know I'm not perfect, but I know that I have been forgiven and saved. I've experienced the grace of God. And if I died today, I know I'm going to heaven. No doubt about it. No one's looking at this preacher. I'd like you to lift your hand high in there with mine just a moment. Would you please hold it there a moment? With your hand lifted to the Lord, would you just thank God for that for a second? Just thank him because if it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't say that. Only Jesus makes that possible to have that peace with God. You may lower your hands. No one is looking. I ask this question because there's some of us who could not raise our hand with certainty. I want to thank you for not lying. I really mean that. In an age when you wonder about people sometimes, the integrity of things, I respect people who just tell the truth like it is. Would you tell the truth again? Who among us today would say, Preacher, if I died right where I'm sitting right now or Jesus came in the next 60 seconds, I don't know that for sure. I, I couldn't raise my hand with absolute certainty and confidence because I'm not 100% sure of my relationship to God and that my sins have been forgiven. Preacher, I'm not positive that I'm ready to go to heaven, but I'm sure of this much. I don't want to go to hell. Preacher, would you pray for me? No one else is looking. I'd like you to slip your hand up in the air with mine in just a moment. I see you. Thank you for your honesty. And you, I see you. God bless you. Who else? Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Who else? Pray for me, preacher. You're talking to me. God's speaking to me. Thank you. You may lower your hands. If you just raised your hand, or or you didn't, but you should have, and God knows, would you listen to me for just a moment? I just want to talk to you. I'd like to talk to you like I was sitting in your living room for a minute, like nobody else is around, and I'm going to tell you something very, very special, something a woman told me 40 years ago, changed my life. I want to tell you that God loves you. He loves you exactly like you are. He didn't love you because you're worthy of it. He loves you because he is love. Let me tell you how much he loves you. He loves you so much, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, his perfect son to earth to die for your sins. Do you believe that? Jesus Christ took your place. What love. And he not only died, he rose from the dead so that he could come live in your heart and you could live with him forever. And I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says if you believe that, if you'll put your faith in Christ and be willing to confess him, we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. Here's the Bible, Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, thou shalt be saved. That doesn't mean saved from cancer, saved from a car wreck. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about saved from sin. And death and hell saved to be one of his children. Is that what you want? Do you want to be in the family of God? Would you like to know when you leave here today that Jesus lives in your heart and that you're going to live with him in heaven forever? There's only one way. And that is you must be willing to repent and believe the gospel. That's the beginning. That's the start of the whole thing. For me, that happened a little over 40 years ago. It was the greatest day of my life. I prayed a simple prayer. I don't remember what I prayed, but I prayed a simple prayer and invited Jesus into my life, and he answered that prayer and changed my heart. Remember I said I was going to ask everybody here to join me in one of two prayers. Well, here's the first one. I'm going to ask every man, every woman, and every young person listening to me right now that's not sure of your soul's salvation, but you'd be willing to receive Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to ask you right where you sit. I'm not asking you to get up, come forward, give a speech to this church. It's not between you and this church. It's between you and Jesus. I'm going to ask you if you really want to know you're saved, 
if you'd be willing to join me in a simple prayer from your heart to God. God is listening. I'd like to lead you in this simple prayer. And you're not talking to me. I'm not your priest. You're talking to God through Jesus. And God listens and hears our prayers through Christ. I'm asking you today, right where you sit, would you be willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? If that's what you want, and you're willing to trust Him, would you bow your head with me right now all over this room? Anybody, anybody that's listening to me that says, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get it settled today, I'm going to ask you to join me in this prayer. Would you pray something like this from your heart to God? Just simply say to the Lord, Dear God, I'm a sinner. I could never save myself. And no one else can save me. But I believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son and the only Savior. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my life. Forgive all of my sin and give me a clean heart and your free gift of eternal life. Jesus, I trust you today, once and for all, to be my personal Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for keeping your promise. Now help me follow you from this day forward all the rest of my life. 